First Peter chapter number four. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, then we'll get into our Bible study today. Father, we just thank you for all the love that you've shown us through Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we're going to learn today, or really probably already, we already know to some degree that that love changes everything in our lives. The love that you've shown us, Lord, changes the way we treat others. It changes our relationship with you. Lord, no longer are we enemies with you, but we're friends and, and children. And we just, we just thank you for that. Lord, your love gives us the power to put away sin and to, to live the kind of holy life that you want us to live. Lord, there's just so much about your love that, that uh, uh, is so wonderful and, and so uh, powerful that, Lord, we know that, that uh, we can be totally changed by, by what uh, you've done for us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we just ask you to bless our study in, in chapter 4 of 1 Peter today and bless it by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Christ's holy name. Amen. You know, in my opinion, one of the greatest love ballads of all time is Love Changes Everything by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Let me just read you a few lines of it. Most of you are familiar with it. But he, he writes, love, love changes everything. Hands and faces, earth and sky. Love, love changes everything. How you live and how you die. Love, love can make a summer fly or a night seem like a lifetime. Yes, love, love changes everything. Then he goes on to say, he says, Now I tremble at your name. Nothing in the world will ever be the same. Love, love changes everything. Now Weber obviously wrote that song in, in, in the context of a human relationship or, or human in the context of a human romance. But you can take that much deeper and you can apply that to the romance that we have with God, the relationship that we have with God. Love, the love of God changes everything. Man, I don't know about you, but the, the love of God has certainly changed everything in my life. As a born-again believer who's loved by Jesus Christ, that love is powerful and it's totally changed my life. And now I tremble at his name and nothing in this world will ever be the same because love, love changes everything. You know, I see the sun differently. I see the skies differently. I see the creation differently. Don't you see the creation differently once you've been born again? You know, I, I got off my lawnmower the other day. I drove it up into my patio. And there's, we've got a wasp nest that sits above a bird's nest. And I was going to, I have been wanting to spray that wasp nest, but I'm afraid the poison would get into the nest with the little baby birds. And so I drove up my lawnmower the other day, and these wasps started attacking me. And so I went in my, my garage, and I got my poison, and I said, I don't care about the baby birds. I'm going to kill these wasps. So I went into the garage, and I came back to the patio, and there was a little, the little finch with a wasp in his mouth, and he went 
to feed his baby, she went to feed her baby birds, and I couldn't spray the wasp nest. You know, I believe God was telling me, I care about those birds. You better not kill my little birds. I mean, we serve a God of love. And I mean, it changes the way we see everything. It changes our relationship with God. And most importantly, maybe most importantly, it changes our relationship with one another, the way we treat one another. We're to love others as we love ourselves. And there's no way you can do that without the love of Christ. And that's what Peter's going to show us today in the text, how we're changed by the love of Christ. And now how we know him, now that we know him, nothing in this world is ever going to be the same. Just look at verse number one. Let's see how the love changes us. And verse number one, it says in chapter four, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He says, arm yourself. My wife bought, bought me a Gluck pistol for uh, Christmas. Now, I call it a Gluck. I know it's a Glock, but I call it a Gluck because when I load up that pistol and I put that magazine in and I pull that chamber back, throw that, that round into that chamber, and I put that into the holster, I'm like the duck of death. The gluck of death. So I call it a gluck. I mean, it empowers me to have that gun loaded up. I mean, it empowers me. You better not mess with me when I have that gun. And that's what Peter's saying, it's sort of. He's saying, arm yourself. What do we arm ourselves with? Look at the verse. With the same mindset of Jesus Christ. And what was that mindset? Well, he suffered for us. Now, really go back to verse number 18, and you'll see it a little clearer. He says, for Christ also suffered, what? Once. Once. He suffered once. That was his mindset. I'm going to suffer once and for all for sin. I'm going to pay for all sin. I'm going to die the just for the unjust. You remember when Jesus was hanging on that cross, what were his last words? It is finished. It is finished. And in other words, I've paid for every single sin that, will, that has ever been committed in the world or will ever be committed in the world. I am done with sin. And that's what we should arm ourselves with that same mindset that we're done with sin that we're going to put away sin forever. Now, why do we put away sin forever? Because love changes everything. It changes everything. John tells us in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. I mean, why do I put away sin? Because I know God doesn't like sin. And he loves me, so I put that sin away. The, as, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ compels us to put away sin. So, how do we do that? Well, one of the things the love of Christ does, the love of Christ gives us the power to put away sin. You know, it's our choice. If we exercise the choice, we have the power to put away sin. And if we don't exercise that choice, if we don't arm ourselves with that mindset that we want to be done with sin, we're just going to keep falling and falling and falling. We have to draw a line and say, I'm done with this. 
I'm done with this sin. Now, Lord, give me the power to put away this sin. He goes on with that theme in verses 2 and 3. Listen to what he says. That we no longer should live the rest of our time. I made our time there instead of his time. Our time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walk in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. I don't know about you, but I spent about 40 years of my life doing the will of the Gentiles, chasing after the lust of the flesh. But love changed me. I don't want to live like that anymore. And you better not want to live like that anymore. If you want to live like that, then you've probably got a problem. You might not be saved because as John says over in uh, 1 John chapter 2, he says we are not to love the lust of the world. If we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Now, if the love of the Father is not in you, then you're not born again. So So that love of Christ, that love of Christ manifested on that cross, that love of Christ manifested in the Holy Spirit that's been given to us, changes us. And if we're been changed, then we don't love these things anymore. I mean, it, we're, we're totally changed. We hate the lust of man. We hate those things that were destroying us and destroying everybody around us. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you're here today and you still love those things, John, John said it, I didn't say it. The love of the Father is not in you. And if the love of the Father is not in you, you are not born again. I'm not saying you won't fall into sin, but if you still love those things, if you still lust after those things, then you've got a problem. But we've been changed by the love of Christ, and we've put these things away, and we're trying to put these things away. What happens when we put these things away? Man, when you're a big party animal, and all of a sudden you get saved, and you put all these things away, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to lose some friends. That's what he says next. Look at verse number four. He says, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation you used to run in. And, and now they speak evil of you. I mean, here you are one day, and I, I've experienced this. One day you're hanging out with your buddies. Man, you're drinking, you're partying, uh, you're engaging in all sorts of abominable Uh, godless activities and then you get saved and there's this wonderful change that takes place in your life and and all of a sudden you have Jesus Christ and you want to live like Jesus Christ and you want to put away your sin and you and you're putting away your sin and your friends see that and they say man I want that no not many are going to say that you might have a few that say that You know what most of them are going to say? Look at him. Oh, he's gotten religious on us. You know, and they're going to criticize you, and they're going to speak evil of you, and they're going to have very little to do with you. And and, and let me tell you why. Because that change that's been made in you, when you're hanging around them after that, if they let you, when you're hanging around them just by your very nature now, you condemn their evil ways. You judge their evil ways. You don't, I don't think a Christian should ever be judgmental towards non-believers. I don't think we should be that way. But 
just by the very fact that your life has been totally changed convicts them that, hey, they're living in sin. And so they want, they want you as far away from as, 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 as you can get. They don't want you hanging out with them anymore. But let me say this. Listen to me carefully, verse number five. And listen to Peter carefully. But one day they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. What's he mean by the living and the dead? The judge is ready. Who's the judge? Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus said all judgment has been given unto him. He's the judge. And he's going to judge the living and he's going to judge the dead. Who are the living? Those who are born again through the spirit of God because they've received the gift of salvation. They're washed in the blood. Those are the living. They're, he's also going to judge the dead, the dead who are alive, but dead spiritually. That's what he's speaking of right there. And, and, and the judgment's going to be severe. Listen to what Solomon says over in Ecclesiastes in his conclusion of Ecclesiastes. We've been doing Ecclesiastes on Wednesday night. And listen to his conclusion of the book. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. That's your duty, is what he's saying. That's what your life is about. Fearing God and keeping his commandments. That is the meaning of life. That's its conclusion. And Wednesday night, Solomon is searching for the meaning of life. And this is its conclusion. That you're to fear God and and uh, keep his commandments. For verse number 14 of, of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he says, For God will bring every work. Well, that's a scary thought right there. Every means what in the Hebrew? Every. Every work in the judgment, including every secret thing, every evil thought you've ever had, every evil intent you've ever, ever had will be judged by God, whether it is good or whether it is evil. And if it's evil, guess where you're going? I'm going to show you in just a minute, but you're going to a bad place. Now, I'm so glad that love changes everything. There's a book, there's two books in heaven. There's a book about that shows all of our works while we've been here. It might be on videotape. It might be written down in a book. I, I, I think that's a, that's a metaphor that's being used right there or, or a symbol being used right there. God, it's in God's mind. God sees everything you do. He knows your thoughts before you think your thoughts. And if you get up there and say, I wasn't a bad person, he's going to tell you a few of the things you did. Remember how he wrote in the sand? Uh, when the woman was caught in adultery and all of those people walked away, what was he doing? He was writing down some of the things that are written in this book of our deeds, evil deeds that we've done throughout this life. He knows every evil thing you've ever done. He knows every evil thought you've ever had. There's two books. That's the good news. There's the book of our deeds, our evil deeds, and there's the book of life. Now, if you go look me up in the book of evil deeds, there's going to be a lot of pages there. I mean, it, it might be half the book. I mean, I don't know. 
but it's going to be wiped clean by the blood of Christ. Zero. I mean, it'll be blank pages. Where were all the things George did? They're paid for by the blood of Christ. There's that other book. There's the book of life. Look up in the L's under Llewellyn. You're going to see my name there. My name is written in the book of life because love, love changes everything. And Christ has changed me. And he's given me his spirit. And he's going to glorify me. And I'm going to be absolutely perfect. And only absolutely perfect, only holy people can see God. Without holiness, you cannot see God. Without holiness, you cannot go to heaven. And so I'm going to find myself in the book of life. And hopefully you're there too. For this reason, verse number six, the gospel were preached to those who were dead. Now, people get into all sorts of crazy interpretations of this. That you go to the grave and you preach the gospel. That's not what he's talking about there, is he? He's talking about those who are dead spiritually. Guess where you were before you got saved. You were dead spiritually. He's speaking to you and I. For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. In other words, we're judged. All of us are judged by our deeds. But we've been, our love has changed us. It, the, love, the love of God has wiped away our sin. And now we live according to God in the spirit. And, and so our sins aren't in that book anymore. They've been covered by the blood of Christ. They've been wiped clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. If your sins, have, if your sins aren't wiped clean, let me tell you where you're going to end up. And we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. You're going to end up at the great white throne judgment seat. Where every evil deed, every evil thought, every evil intent is judged. We've talked about that a few weeks. Let's, let's look at that white throne judgment seat for a minute. Go to the last book of the Bible and go to Revelation chapter number 20. The last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter number, and go to Revelation chapter number 20. Almost the last chapter in the Bible. You got one more, I think, after that. Two more. Let me set the setting. The great tribulation has taken place. Jesus Christ has returned to the earth and he's put down the rebellion. And this great period of time known as the millennium begins. For a thousand years, you have utopia on the earth. The the reason you have utopia on the earth is that the devil is chained in a pit. But at the end of a thousand years, he is released. And he's released and he comes to the earth and he begins to tempt men and tempt women again. And of course, every person says, you can't tempt me, devil. I've had utopia and you can't mess with me, Uh, you know, so get on out of here. Hey, what happened in the garden? They were in utopia and they believed the devil and the devil comes to the earth and he tempts man again. And you know what men do, the men and women who aren't saved, they rebel against the Lord and they come to Jerusalem to destroy the Lord and destroy his saints. And this time there's no great tribulation. Fire comes down from heaven and destroys or or defeats the devil and his followers. 
and the devil is cast into the lake of fire. Now, what's the lake of fire? Hades? No, we looked at this last time. Hell. That's hell. The lake of fire is hell. You got that? Okay, now here are all these people on the earth who have rebelled. Here are all these people down in Hades. We're all the Christians at this point. There's Christians that are on earth and Christians that are on heaven. Probably most of them are on earth because we've come to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. So we're living in the new Jerusalem at that point. All right, now, here's what happens after this last great rebellion. And after that, there's no more. God's not putting up with it anymore. You're either a born-again believer or you're not going to be around here anymore. And, and, and this is where we pick up in verse number 11. He says in ch of chapter 20, Then I saw a great white throne. Why, why does he call it a great white throne? Why is it white? It is glowing with the glory of God. And him who sat on it, who's him? Jesus Christ. Who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there were so many people there that there was no place for them. There's so many people that were rebelled against God that there's not enough room for them. That's how many people. What's about, what did Jesus say? Wide is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads unto God and few be there, micros that find it. The majority of people are, are heading to hell. And, and there's no found no place. There were so many that was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. Now, who's he talking about there? He's talking about those who have never been born again, those who are dead spiritually, small and great. I don't care who you are. It, the rich aren't the only ones going to hell. The poor aren't the only ones going to hell. It's not a class thing. It's not black and white. It's not, uh, it's not whether you are an important person or a small person or insignificant person on this earth. I don't care who you are. If you're dead spiritually, you're standing before God at this great white throne judgment. And the books were open. Two books. Two books. Which books do we have? The book of your works and the book of life. Two books were open. He says, and the books were open, the books of that, that judge your works. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The, and, and those who are made alive by Jesus Christ are in that book. And the dead, not those who are alive. So you're not going to be judged if you're a born again believer. And the dead were judged, watch this, according to their works. You do not want to be judged according to your works. Unless you've never had an evil thought. You've never had evil intent. You've never sinned, then you're okay. You're going to be okay. No, don't, don't look at me like that. None of you are in that position. Maybe Roy, you know, and that's it. <laughs> and look, look what happens next. It says, and the sea gave up the, the nations, gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up their dead. So, see, so you got the people who were on earth during the, uh, during the millennium, at the end of the millennium, and they're being judged, the ones that rebelled against Christ. And then now the people who are in Hades, remember I told you when we looked at that section on Hades a few weeks ago, they're brought up to heaven for judgment. They get to see heaven. But they're, but they're getting judged. Look at what it says. 
The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and the death of Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. Those who were dead spiritually who had died and gone to Hades. If you die today and you are not born again, you're going into Hades. Somewhere in this earth, there's another dimension called Hades. Paradise has been emptied out. But there's a place of torment called Hades that is not hell. Then you're brought up to heaven to be judged and you're judged according to your works. Look at the last sentence there in verse 13. And they were judged each one according to their works, their deeds, their evil deeds. The wages of how many sins is death? Eternal death. One. One. The Bible doesn't say the wages of sins is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death because sin is rebellion against God. And if you don't receive Jesus Christ in this lifetime, you have set yourself in rebellion against God. You're an enemy of God and you're going to be judged. Now look at verse number 14. Then death and Hades were cast into what? Everybody who was dead spiritually, everybody who came up from Hades at that point were cast into the lake of fire. What's the lake of fire? That is hell. Go back to me, go back with me to verse number 10. When the, when the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire, and brimstone, the beast, and the false prophet, they're down there already, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Don't tell me that the Bible doesn't teach that there's a hell. There is a hell. There is a hell. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing right here. That's why you witness to your neighbors and friends, because you don't want them going to hell. And this it makes it real easy and sterile if you write hell off, but there is a hell. We were created as eternal beings. They live in heaven with God. But if we rebel with, against God like the devil rebelled with, against God, we're going to live where the devil lives. We're going to live in hell forever. Oh, I don't believe that. Well, whether you believe it or not, it is true. You better not test it. You test that. You're testing your eternal state. You don't get born again. Pastor, you're trying to scare me. You're doggone right I'm trying to scare you. You don't get born again, you're going to end up in this lake of fire. And you're going to be tormented forever and ever and ever. Ten million years from now. You can't say, well, man, I made it ten million years. I got ten million years to go. No, you got forever to go. Forever. Think about that forever. And anyone not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. But love, love changes everything. Man, if you're in the book of life, you're going to stay in heaven. And heaven's going to be on this earth and you're going to live with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever in total perfect bliss. You talk about utopia, Man, that's utopia. Hey, man, I, I want that. How, how do I get that? Well, you got to be chosen. 
You got to be chosen. Sorry. It says in the Bible, uh, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That's what it says. You got to be chosen. Well, man, I'll tell you what I'd say at that point. If I was here and I was sitting lost, I want to be chosen. How do I get chosen? I mean, do I raise my hand and say, choose me? That's pretty much what you do. You receive Jesus Christ. You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive Jesus Christ, then you're chosen. You're chosen. You know what? You received Jesus Christ and you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Why do you receive Jesus Christ? Because you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Why were you chosen in him before the foundation of the world? Because you chose Jesus Christ. You can go around in circles and circles and circles on this, but you, your part, choose Jesus Christ. Choose Jesus Christ and you'll find yourself in eternity forever with the Lord and not in Hades. And we, if any of us die, I hope, I don't think I'm going to see you down there. If anybody in this room, you die. You, that's where you go. If you die without the Lord, you go straight to Hades. That's scary stuff. And Peter wants it to be scary stuff. Look at the next, look at the next verse, what he says at the next verse in 1 Peter. Chapter number 4. Better think it's scary. You better believe it's scary stuff. Look at verse number 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Man, the end of all things is at hand. What's he mean, the end of all things is at hand? What does he mean at hand? Well, look at your hand. How far away do you ever get from your hand? Not very far, do you? If you got a hand, my hand's always, I can always see my hand. I mean, my hand's real close to me. It's as near as, as near as my eyes can see. My hand, is, my hand is right next to my body. I can put it right there over my eyes. It's at hand. The end is at hand. That means it could come at any time. Now, was Peter setting dates there? Was he saying that the, the coming of the Lord is, is very near? It's going to happen for sure in our lifetime? Was he saying that? No, he wasn't saying that. That wasn't what he was saying at all. I mean, because you can go over to 2 Peter. Go with me to 2 Peter, a verse passage we'll look at in a few weeks or months. Look at verse number 7. Chapter number 3 of 2 Peter, verse number 7. He says, but the heavens of the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, the word of God, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition. Hell of ungodly man, the destruction of ungodly man. But beloved, do not forget this, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord's not slack concerning his problem, as some count slackness, but his long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. You know, so much for this baloney that says God wishes that some would perish. He's determined this, this group's going to perish, and this group is going to be saved. That's not true. He knows who's going to be saved, but he wishes that none should perish. He's not willing that any should perish, and he's going to hold off until the last person that's going to, he knows is going to get saved, gets saved. If that might be 10,000 years from now. Now, I don't think so the way things are going right now, but it could be. 
If there's somebody in God's eyes 10,000 years down the road that can get saved, he might wait that 10,000 years to save them. And we're stuck here for a while. You know, personally, in fact, you can take those 1,000 years and do a little prophetic study, and I believe we're at that time right now. Peter knew that. Peter didn't think, Peter, Peter understood that it could be thousands of years before the Lord came. He wouldn't have wrote that. So what did he mean when he said, the Lord is at hand? The end of all things is near. What, is, what does he mean? What does he mean by that? Well, let me tell you what he means by that. You and I at best will live about 80 years. And let me tell you what, those 80 years go by really fast. And when those 80 years or 50 years or 10 years, I don't know. Some of you might be out of here by the end of this year. It's coming quick. Whether the Lord tarries or not, your end of your life is coming quick. The end of all things for you is coming quick. And you better get serious about these things. I mean, or you'll find yourself in Hades. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. You know, if I were to pass out dead here today, right now, while I'm speaking, I would hope that when I got to heaven and saw the Lord, I would recognize him. Maybe not physically, but I would recognize him not as a stranger, but as my friend, my God, my creator, as my father. If God is a stranger to you now, listen to me very carefully, then he'll be a stranger to you when you go to heaven and let me tell you where you'll be when you go to heaven you'll be at the great white throne judgment seat because you remember what Jesus said Jesus said many will come to be in that day and they'll say man I preached and I read my Bible and I went to church and I gave tithes and I gave offerings and I did all of these wonderful religious things and you know what he says to them depart from me you wicked people for I never knew you See, that's what Peter's saying right here in this verse. He's saying that, that you're to be watchful in your prayers. You're to be serious about your prayers. You're to live in a state of prayer. You're to pray without ceasing. That means you're, you, you're conscious of the fact that God lives in you. You're conscious of the fact that you have a relationship with God. You give God your decisions. You let God give you the wisdom to make your decisions. You're living in a complete relationship with him, a, a spiritual relationship. You don't see him physically, but when you do see him physically, he's not going to be a stranger to you because the end of all things is at hand. And you don't want to die and God be a stranger to you because your ultimate state will be the lake of fire. Then back to... Our text in verse number 8, he says this. He says, and above all things, 
Now, when a preacher says above all things, that means above everything. Above everything I've told you so far, you better get this part. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Be watchful. Be close to the Lord. But let me tell you how you exhibit that closeness to the Lord, by your love for one another. That's what Peter's saying. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude. He quotes from Proverbs 10, 12, love covers a multitude of sins. Do you get that? Now, some expositors say what he's talking about is the love of Christ who died for us covers our sins. His blood covers our sins. He's not talking about that at all. Because look at what he says. He says, above all, have fervent love for one another. So our love for one another covers a multitude of sins. In other words, I think what he's saying right here is this. He's saying that, that uh, uh, God is a lot more patient with us when we screw up if our intentions were good. If our intentions were really good, then we're probably not going to get disciplined for that sin. You know, I come up in this pulpit sometimes and I've said some things and I, I, I go home and I said, man, I wish I hadn't said that. Or I wish I had said that. I left somewhere. I didn't quite explain that the way I, I wanted to explain it. Or maybe I should have worked harder on this sermon than I worked on this sermon. You know, and, and I don't think we ever give the Lord his due. And so, man, I guess God could could punish me or discipline me because I don't give it all it's due sometimes. But God knows my intentions. My intentions are not to harm anybody in here. My intentions are not to, to do anything but lead you into a closer relationship with the Lord. To build you up, not tear you down. Those are my intentions. And God knows that. And so he puts up with my mistakes. When I say Jacob instead of Isaac or whatever, you know, you got to live with me with those kind of things. I don't make many mistakes. I don't get excited about that, but I do make some mistakes. You might be witnessing. Let me use that example. And boy, God opens that door. And, and, and I mean, tell me what's different about you. You're different. Tell me what's different about you. But duh, but duh, but duh, you can't, you can't tell, say anything. Or you, you pull out your Bible and you, you do your best to find something quick and you just mess up totally. And you do your best to give them the gospel, but you just about destroy the gospel. That's probably sin in a way. But you know what? If your intentions are good, God forgives you. Love covers a multitude of sins. You might have to lie sometimes. Yeah. You might have to lie sometimes to help somebody out. You might have to do that. You might, and I said a few weeks ago, you might have to lie when your wife comes to you and tells you, oh, and what do you think about my dress? You say it's beautiful whether you like it or not. You might have to lie in those cases. I mean, I remember the story of Corey Ten Boom and how they lied to the authorities about the, the, the Jews that they were uh, hiding in their shop. They stole ration cars. So they were stealing and they were lying to save those Jews. You think God was mad at them about that? I don't think so. Love covers a multitude of sins. Then verse number nine, be 
hospitable without grumbling. Be hospitable without grumbling. One of the ways that you're changed by the love of Christ is that you're more hospitable. And you got to do it without grumbling. That's, be, you, some of you are hospitable, but man, I can't believe that pastor's coming over here. I can't believe they're coming over here. I can't believe. I mean, a couple of weeks ago when those missionaries came, they said, we're coming. We'll stay two days with you. I said, great. I, I said, are you bringing your, uh, who you come, who's coming with you? Well, Alan said me and Rose and little Elisa Rose, three-year-old Elisa Rose. Now, I've seen three-year-old kids that can destroy a house in three hours. In two days, man, and I was very tempted to grumble. But I didn't grumble, and boy, we were really blessed. She was the sweetest little thing. She, just, she, she entertained us the whole two days, and, and we had a ball. So, so open your home up. You never know. You might be entertaining angels, Paul says. I got a lot more to tell you here, but we're out of time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right here. We'll pick it up uh, next time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we just thank you for your love, and we thank you for how it does change us, Lord, how it gives us the power to put away our sin, and, and uh, Lord, just uh, how it gives us the power to, to treat others the way we should treat others, and, and Lord, just it gives us the most important thing we have, our faith, our salvation. Lord, to know that you've taken us and placed our names in the book of life, this guarantee that we're going to live with you forever. Lord, and you've taken that book of deeds, that book of evil deeds, and you've wiped away every evil thing we've ever done. Lord, we are so blessed by you, so blessed by your goodness, and we just thank you for that. And uh, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name I pray. Amen.